grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied abundantly unto you all through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be seated. You heard in the readings, of course, the story of Abraham and his son. That certainly was a trial. You heard how Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil. That certainly was a trial. And from the book of James, he talks about trials. James is the younger brother of Jesus, so he's been there and he's seen a lot. Before the disciples were there, before the critics were there, James was there. He was the little brother of Jesus, and he probably watched Jesus learn, see him grow, see him resist temptation, see him overcome trials of various kinds. James became the pastor of the Jerusalem church, and can you imagine what that must have been like in that day? I mean, it was Jewish religious leaders who opposed Jesus and had him put to death, and there was this pastor trying to teach this small group of Jesus' followers to persevere under such hostile environment. He's going to teach us how to endure not just the best days, but the worst days. Not the easiest days, but the hard days. Not just the joyful days, but also the painful days. And he starts out by telling us that life sometimes is hard. Verse 2 of his book. Verse 2. Right up front, so you can't miss it. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We're going to look at this verse today. Life is sometimes wonderful, but as we know, it's sometimes painful. So before we look at what God is saying through James, I want to examine what you might be feeling in the midst of your trials. I don't want to minimize that. I mean, it's a tough season, a hard season, a difficult day, and you can be discouraged. And when those seasons come, our emotions tend to be very elevated. We feel sometimes more clearly than we actually think. So I want to tell you, first of all, what God is not saying. When trials come, the Bible is not saying that God is punishing you. True or false? It can feel like that. Yeah, hard day. God must be punishing me. And you look back in your life. Okay, what did I do? I must have done something wrong. God is going to punish me to pay him back for what I have done or failed to do. That's a lie. 
It's not true. You may feel it, but please don't feed it. God does not punish his people because he's already punished his son. Amen? Okay, amen. Good. Let's make sure we remember that. Jesus went to the cross, took upon himself all of the sins of the world, suffered and died in our place for our sin. It would be unjust for God to punish Jesus and you, much like sending two people to prison for the same crime. That's not right. Yes, it is true. We reap what we sow. Yes, it is true. We make bad choices and we have to live with the consequences and implications and complications of our own folly. But God never punishes people for their sins. He's already punished Jesus. And I need you to be clear about that. The other thing that God is not saying, God is, God is not failing you. God, you said you would love me in the midst of my trial. It doesn't feel like it. God, you said you'd provide for me. I'm not seeing it. God, there are some promises from you, but they don't seem to be coming true in my life. You're failing me. You may not say it like that, but in the midst of a trial, you might feel like that. And you can look over the fence at someone else's life and say, man, I think God's certainly good for his promises there, but not over on this side of the fence. God is not failing you in the midst of your trial. God may not be done with you yet. God is never without power, and God is never without a plan. And when you're hurting, you need to grow in trusting because that's what faith is all about. He's not failing you. Sometimes in trials, we think that he's abandoned us. When life is hard, it does not say that God has abandoned you. It's easy sometimes to believe that God is near when times are good. It's hard to believe that God is near when times are bad. You need to take God at his word. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you always. That's one of the last things he tells us before he returns and ascends into heaven. Then ten days later... He sends the Holy Spirit so the presence and power of God is available to us through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. God has not abandoned you. You are not an orphan. God is not a father who looks at you and says, well, good luck, kids, and then walks out the door. He does not abandon his children. Number four, God is not acting evil toward you. Sometimes when evil comes upon you, it can feel like God is acting 
evil toward you. It can feel like that. You can get there theologically very quick by thinking this way. Let's see, God is sovereign. Everything happens according to his will. Evil happens. Ergo, God is evil. Not true. There are lots of things that happen. Lots of things that grieve God that break the heart of God, if we can talk in human language. There are rebellions and folly and sin against God. Not everything on earth is as God intends. Genesis records the days when everyone did what was only evil all the time. And it grieved God in his heart. You know, Jesus shows up comes down from heaven, lives this life, and we see Jesus crying and weeping over what he sees. God is not smiling and pleased with everyone and everything. There is much in this life and in this world that breaks his heart in addition to breaking his law. God is not evil. God doesn't do evil. God is not, not like the Eastern religions would teach us or like the more animistic or native or pantheistic or panatheistic religions would teach us that the divine is both good and evil. God's only good, God's always good, and God is dealing with evil. And the evil is not representative of God. It's a war and a rebellion against God but it can feel like it at times. God doesn't promise that things will get better. God doesn't promise that things will change, but he does promise that you can change. God doesn't say, well, life's hard, just wait, it'll get better. Maybe it will. Maybe in this life it might not. It might get worse in this life. But he does promise in the life to come, glory awaiting his children. And finally, God doesn't promise he's going to answer every question we have. When life is hard, it does not say that God will answer every question. When life gets hard, a trial a test, a storm comes. I've got questions. Why? How come? Where? I don't understand this. God says, live by faith, not by sight. Look to me. Don't just look to the answers. You're not going to get all your questions answered in this life. Many of them, most of them, are answered in God's word, but some of them you're going to need to wait. Paul tells us that we see now, in this life, we see in part, partly, not fully. And he says, until we see the face of Jesus, we're not going to have all of our questions answered. 
So the Bible doesn't say that when life is hard, God is punishing you. God is failing you. God has abandoned you. God is evil toward you. God is going to fix all of you. Or that God needs to give an answer to you. But what does the Bible say? Three things. When trial comes, look at that. It's right there in the word. I didn't have to put it in point form. Because the Bible clearly teaches when trials come, he doesn't say if. What are the odds that trials are going to come? 100%. You're going to get trials. It's going to hurt. When trials come, don't say, God, how come? Where? Why? I don't understand. What? I had no idea. Had I known this, I would have. God says, no. I told you they are coming. And some of you are in trials right now. All of us are in this trial of a pandemic. Some of you can see the clouds forming on the horizon. Trials will come. The second thing that God says through James. When trials come, know this. Know this. It's very, very strong. Know. Don't forget this. Hold this truth in your hand, in your mind. Cling to it. It's your personal flotation device. Keep it close. When trials come, remember, it's a test. <sighs> a test can be a good or bad thing. True or false, teacher? True or false. A test can be a good or a bad thing. It depends on what? How well you prepared for your test and how good you are at taking tests. Maybe you've taken a test in school. I took the test. It was a little stressful. I got a good grade. That was awesome. Life is filled with tests and spiritual tests. Know this. Trials are opportunities to prove who you are in Christ. To see who you're becoming in Christ. When it first hits, a trial feels like an attack. He says, I want you to know this. It's a test. It's not an attack. Okay. You will get trials of various kinds. Financial, emotional, physical, spiritual, mental, relational, marital, vocational, various kinds of trials. You know what that means? You don't know where it's coming from next. All those different areas of your life come from anywhere. Any aspect of your whole life, a trial could come from. And they don't always come one at a time. I know you all know this already, but I'm just making it really clear. <laughs> How many of you have noticed 
various trials, and they can come more than one at a time. Sometimes what happens is you get through a trial in one area and of your life and, oh, glad that's over with, and then there's another trial that comes from another area of your life. You get your finances in order, and then a relationship falls apart. You're in another trial. Here's what I don't want you to do. Because we get trials of various kinds, don't compare your trials with other people's. Some of you, you have great wisdom and experience in some areas of life. On the other hand, other people have other wisdom and other experience in other areas. So some of you, let's say it's a financial trial comes into your life. You have some wisdom on what to do with that. Some of you are like, I'm not very good with numbers. So when it comes to balancing the budget and setting my finances, you feel very overwhelmed and very quickly. Well, it's not fair. This person to say, that's not a big deal, that trial. That's a little trial. But it's a big deal to them. You've got to walk in someone else's shoes. Conversely, the person might have an enormous emotional bucket. Some of you have huge emotional buckets capacity for relationships and trauma and drama and this other person might have an emotional thimble well it's not fair for this person to say well hey come on just roll with it you need to be you know more emotionally present and compassionate hmm don't compare we're all different we get various kinds of trials and God doesn't cause evil to come upon us but he'll use evil and unfavorable circumstances for our good and his glory and sometimes God allows a trial to come in our area of weakness and so what's hard for you might be easy for someone else and the same is conversely true now here's the cool thing. He tells us trials will come. We need to know that they are a test and that we shouldn't compare our trials to others. And ultimately, if we'll avail ourselves to them, it could produce two things. Steadfastness. How come we don't use that word anymore? It's the best word ever steadfastness and maturity steadfastness we need this word this is perseverance this is fortitude the bible uses language elsewhere all over the place stand firm it's like a command to a soldier hold your post steadfastness stand firm maybe you're a goalie you're coming he's coming on at you on a breakaway what do you got to do stand your ground so you endure you persevere you weather the storm you make it through you don't give up you don't give in and he says if you will receive it as a trial or a test as an opportunity and produce steadfastness, 
then it will result in maturity over time. What this means is you'll become more godly. You'll become more like Jesus, complete and lacking nothing. You won't become like him exactly in this life. No way. But you'll become more like him because trials will be used to transform you. Steadfastness, by the way, and you heard it already in the readings, is a characteristic of God. And boy, do we love that characteristic. He is faithful and steadfast. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Think about how important steadfastness is. It's like, I want to get buff without working out. I want to learn a lot without reading any books. It doesn't work that way. Cause and effect, reap, sow. Steadfastness, standing firm under pressure, produces maturity. Okay, I'll give you an example. Relationships can be hard. If you have, ha if you have a hard relationship, I'm done with that. Quit. And you move on to another hard relationship, quit. You have a hard job, quit. Have another hard job, quit. Go to a church, have a conflict, quit. Go to another church, have a conflict, quit. You know what you do? You know what you don't do? You don't mature because you don't have steadfastness. Paul says it this way, perseverance produces what? Character. James is saying the same thing. Steadfastness produces maturity. Same thing. So what that means is your godliness is not in spite of your problems or around your problems. It's what God will do in and through your trials and your problems and he says i need you to know this so that when you're in the middle of it you receive it as an opportunity from god and not an obstacle count it all joy my brothers james says when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You have a Savior that is committed to you all the way. When we say we love someone, what is a real good definition of love? We say we want the best for that person, the absolute best. So does Jesus have that for you. And if you question Jesus' commitment to you, that's why we put the big cross on the front of the church. He came. That's why he lived. That's why he died, and that's why he rose again. Because he wants the absolute best for you. And he's going to get it out of you any which way he can. Thank God he is so committed to us, his children. 
So, Hebrews 12, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So, in the midst of a trial, it might be worthwhile asking Jesus, what are you doing to make me more worthy of your love? What are you doing to mature me, dear Jesus? Who for the joy set before him, I can't believe that phrase, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Wow, what he went through for us. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, thinking of all that he went through for me, I want to, in the midst of my trial, know that he is perfecting my faith in him because he wants what is ultimately best for me. Amen. Amen.